Good morning and welcome to Ask Andy. This is a daily podcast about personal injury practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm Andrew Newworth. You can reach me on the web at newworthlaw, N-E-U-W-I-R-T-H-L-A-W.com. So I wanted to talk to you for a minute. Uh, This is kind of like my week of building small business or marketing and not specifically on issues in personal injury practice. But I thought it might be helpful when I was a younger person, younger lawyer. So I'm like a 51-year-old white male. Um, And when I was younger, I always wanted someone to kind of point out like the road to kind of give me a yellow brick road to follow so I could have some guideposts for my career. (laughs) Like I'm not much for setting goals. I just wanted to see kind of how things would turn out uh, through someone else's eyes. And nobody was really ever able to do that. And uh, most people would say kind of something oblique, like, well, this is what happened to me, or this is what I did. So here's a quick just background of, you know, what I've done and what I think I should do or should have done. So I went to like a private prep school for many years um, in New York City. So I was like super well prepared for college. And I went to Cornell University, one of the Ivy League schools, and didn't have to work too hard because I was kind of overprepared for college and pretty much got, you know, fairly straight A's until senior year and this and that. I didn't really have any particular drive or goal to be a lawyer or anything like that. I liked reading and writing. I hated math. I was like a double major in government and political science and philosophy and I was pretty close to Phi Beta Kappa, but the philosophy classes were really hard and they dragged down my grade point. So I distinctly remember my father saying, oh, you could have been Phi Beta Kappa. (laughs) So anyway, I came out of school and I was tired of academics and tired of school. I liked sort of more real world problems and less academic, you know, thought provoking issues. So I decided not to do anything after school. I came out, it was the middle of the recession of 1990, which was a dreadful recession. I couldn't find a job. Finally, I went to work for like a newsletter uh, in entertainment law, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And I was a good writer, and so I was able to write, you know, articles pretty easily. And eventually I ended up at a law firm called Cadwallader, Wickersham, and Taft, which was a Wall Street law firm doing kind of big-time defense of wealthy individuals and big companies and this and that. So as a paralegal, like you got back in the day, I got paid like 60 grand, which was a lot of money back then, especially for a kid with like, you know, not much in the way of responsibilities. And I, I kind of worked for like three years just working around lawyers, most of whom were pretty stressed out. And there was not a big focus on quality of life back then. But I did some interesting stuff and was able to, you know, keep up with the work and and found it sort of interesting. But I got kind of, you know, after two or three years of that, I was like, all right, this is not how I want to spend the rest of my life. And most of the lawyers there were like, don't go to law school (laughs) because they hated their jobs. Uh, Because being in a Wall Street law firm is high pressure and no matter how much they pay you, it's kind of miserable. Uh, so it's good for some people, but it's a, it's a tough living. So anyway, then I applied to law school. Um, I got 
into a whole bunch of law schools, but my drive was always to go to the best place I could get in. I was waitlisted at Cornell, and I ended up going up there and sort of pleading my case to one of the professors. And, you know, I had really good college grades and really bad LSAT scores. And so they ended up taking me in off the wait list. And just like kind of in college, the first year of law school, like I was still kind of more prepared than my than your average person for school. Like I'm really good at school. So I was like top third of my class for the first semester and a half. And then the other people in the class started catching up. And so I finished three years of law school right about the middle of my class. Like literally I was the the 50% line. Half the class was better than me. Half the class was worse than me at grades. But what I found in law school was that I was better at arguing and talking than most of my peers, because most lawyers are just not willing to engage in kind of open combat. You know, they're a little more academic, a little bit more this and that. And there just are very few sort of, uh, I don't know, natural litigators out there. So... And my grades were fine. They weren't great. They weren't terrible. But it was kind of a weak law market. And I was applying for these jobs that were like big time corporate jobs because that's what I thought I should do. And I wasn't getting any of them. And I went to meet with the uh, person from the Queens District Attorney's Office who came up to Cornell of all places to interview as Queens, New York. And he and I just absolutely hit it off. And I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. So I kept applying, went through the application process, and ultimately got a job at the DA's office in Queens and worked there for about six years. And that is, it's a tremendous experience if you want to be a litigator. Um, You know, I I really counsel most people to avoid being public defenders and to go and try and be prosecutors. There's a lot packed into that, but basically... You know, you're thrown in on day one before you've even officially passed the bar. You've taken the bar, but you haven't passed it. And all of a sudden you're doing arraignments for, you know, misdemeanor criminals. And in Queens, there are about 100,000 crimes committed a year. There's no lack of business. So you're up there like nonstop, just learning on your feet and getting yelled at by judges and defense lawyers and your bosses. And you learn really fast. So after a year or two at the DA's office, like you're a much more mature lawyer in terms of judgment, in my mind, than most other lawyers. Most other lawyers will know the civil procedure, the civil law, civil practice. They'll know how to write a brief much better. But in terms of on your feet and dealing with pressure and and using good judgment, you can't beat it. So I did that for about six years. By the end of time there, I was like a, you know, mid-level felony prosecutor prosecuting, you know, all manner of violent crime short of sex crimes and homicides. Those were handled by a special department. And frankly, like by the time I was a prosecutor, you know, at fifth or sixth year level, like I was making less money than I had as a paralegal. And my experience was that most of my so-called victims were criminals and most of the perpetrators were really bad criminals. So I ended up trying a lot of these cases where, you know, your victims didn't feel very victim-like. And that was enough for me. So I left there and I went to do medical malpractice defense at a place called Aronson Rappaport, which is like one of the top 
medical malpractice defense firms in uh, New York City. And I was there for a little less than two years, met my wife, and moved to Providence, Rhode Island. And But the transition from DA's office to medical malpractice lawyer is actually not that hard because they're both sort of high-volume um, individual cases. Like, you got to learn the case, learn it quickly, and make good judgments during depositions and in litigation. And there's a lot of medical records to read, and that takes a lot of time. But I ended up moving to Boston after a while and did about eight years total medical malpractice defense. Now, medical malpractice defense is, you know, by the time a case gets to the desk of a medical malpractice defense lawyer, they're really, you know, the most serious of the most serious cases. Uh, Because, you know, plaintiffs, medical malpractice lawyers are not going to bring, you know, a mediocre case for mediocre damages. It just doesn't make sense. There's the cases are too high risk, they're too expensive, and you're going to end up with an unhappy client if you uh, don't have, don't pick the right case and make sure you're going to win. So I did the defense work on that for hospitals and doctors for about eight years. And in the course of that time, like I met with probably 100, 200 doctors and hospitals, experts. So I knew pretty much everything there was to know about medical malpractice defense from like a fundamentals perspective. What does a good case look like? How to read medical records? How to really analyze cases the way that lawyers in that field should analyze cases? Eventually, my wife wanted to return back to Pennsylvania, and in 2010, we moved here, and I opened my own practice. By then, I felt like I had kind of enough of a handle on how to be a lawyer and enough of a handle on how to properly move a civil case through from start to finish, but I had a lot to learn, and that's what I've been doing. I, you know, I look at it like it's a 10-year process of learning, and hopefully I'll always be learning. You know, now I, I, I can see and feel and understand a case a lot better than I did in 2010, but, you know, at this point I have like, I don't know, 24 years, 23 years of practice under my belt. So it's a lot of years of judgment and um, a lot of years of, of handling cases. That's enough for today, and I'll do some more on it tomorrow. That's Ask Andy. I hope I hold people accountable.